Hello. Welcome to the Sayers Conversations podcast. Today, our very special guest is one of Australia's most successful marketers. It is Michael McGee, who today is the CMO of Buller Dairy Foods. Enjoy. So this is a, um, a Sayers Conversation, but this is a really important one because um, we're going to do something I've wanted to do for a long time, and that's speak to marketers, high-level senior experienced marketers, about the things they know to be true. Now, uh, why? Because there's a lot of stuff talked about in marketing and I just think that there's a lot of truisms that, me, that maybe we forget. Anyway, um, I don't want to lead the jury here. Um, we're going to have a chat to Mike McGee. Um, Mike is genuinely um, one of the very best clients I've worked with over 30 or however many years I've done it. Mike, Welcome. Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. It's great. It's great that you are here with us because you are kicking off the series. No pressure. Yeah. No. No. There's no. There's no pressure because I know that you know what to do, right? So um, it's not a mistake that you're in here first, mate. Thank right? you. It, it's uh, quite deliberate because um, well, you for starters, you and I have had lots of conversations we about have. things that we might that we think are true. Yep, we absolutely have, Russ. So um, off the top, I just wanted you to just list the brands that you've worked on over, and it's probably 30 years. Oh. Yeah, it's a lot, Russ. So, right. um, Give me the brands. Well, starting off uh, with Schweppes. So started with Schweppes and all the brands that are associated with that. As you know, Solo, Sunkissed, did uh, Coddies as well. Uh, a lot of people would know the Cordials, the Jams, uh, Toppings, yeah. Ice Magic, who could forget that one? Uh, <laughs> great dessert brand. <laughs> uh, and then moved into Cadbury, so all the brands that sit under there, Crunchy, Cherry Ripe, you know, we've done a few ads on those ones. Boost, who could forget that one that you and I worked on? Um, and then I moved to Kraft for a while, so I've worked on Vegemite, uh, Philadelphia, great brand, Oreo, and then through into Mars and Snickers, M&M's, uh, Mars itself, great brand again. Uh, and also through Mars, have worked on some of the global brands as well in pet care, uh, B Pedigree, and and foods in my last role, which is more a consultant yeah. than, uh, than yeah. a pure marketing guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I've sort of done the rounds. And, yeah. and now, uh, now uh, working with a great Aussie business, uh, great family business, uh, Buller. So yeah. enjoying that. Um, yeah. So really, really, as you said, thirty years probably feels like a long time. <laughs> So and so, what's your title now? What do we call you? Uh, well, I'm working at at Buller as GM for marketing and innovation. So yeah, that's my current title. Okay, and um, if you think about the supermarket, right? Yep. I've got I've got a supermarket footprint in my mind's eye. Yeah. What percentage of it have you worked on? I'm talking category, right? So uh, not just a specific brand. So if you'd say, okay, all I've worked in drinks. Yep. I've worked in. Confectionery. I've yep. worked in foods, right? So, what percentage? <laughs> okay. So, I'm gonna. All right. So, let, let's let's sort of think this through. So, let's say I'm gonna say twenty percent of the supermarket is fresh. Yep. And I'm gonna say twenty percent of the supermarket is household stuff, like cleaning stuff, yep. and right. So, there's I haven't been in household stuff. Right. So, so there's you can 60, rule that one out. So, there's sixty percent left. Yep. If I've taken out fresh, I've taken out household. Yep. So, of the sixty, what percentage have you worked on? Um, probably. 80% of that 60. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon it would be, right? Yeah, like six aisles is probably... Because there's things that, you know, I'm probably you know not going to volunteer that... <laughs> but let's say salad dressings was one, you know. So yeah. there's there's a lot of like hidden ones there too. But um, 
Yeah, so I've done a lot of stuff in right. beverages, in, in food, confectionery, yeah. uh, coffee at one stage. We had Maxwell House, Maxwell House. a big American brand, but yeah. uh, owned by uh, Cotties for a while. Um, so, and, and I think went back to craft at some stage right. as well. So, right. so, yeah, look, a lot of different uh, categories. All of them have yeah. their own little in- intricacies, but you could all say it's under that FMCG yeah. Family. So 80% of the 60% left over, that's 48. So let's call it half of the supermarket yeah. you've worked on, right? Yep. So you know a lot about consumer behaviour, yep. you know a lot about, well, I also think you know a lot about price. Yep. So. Got to be careful what we say about price. Uh, oh, great. So <laughs> go, give it to me. Uh, well, price, I mean, that's the value that you extract for your brand at the end of the day. So I think that's really what you're, what you're trying to do is to find that, Happy medium between what what consumers are willing to pay, but obviously, what what uh, what you have to consider your costs and what what you get out of the bargain as well. So it's I think it's it's not a mystery, but it is it's one that you've got to do some work on, and yeah. it's probably one that a lot of people don't do enough work on. Right. So um, this is something I was going to ask you at the end, but I'll just go to it right now. Is ultimately all marketing about price? I, I think it's about go to market. For me, it's about that whole stream of creating value. Um, from when from conception to getting a product onto the market or a service, it's that whole value chain, I right. think, and, and it's thinking about that. I mean, you could go into marketing and be working on existing brands or you could start to do a startup, but whatever it is, you're looking at the whole value chain from right. conception to execution into store or whatever route to market that you're going through. That's where I think you really need to, to look at each part of that value chain right. and see what you need to do because, again, it could be... You could be looking at your costs in terms of a distribution model. And I think marketers need to get into that conversation just as much as, you know, there's a lot of glamorous stuff you can do in marketing, but yeah. there's a lot of one percenters. And marketing, it's very much a mathematical game as well because right. what, and this is probably jumps into one of your true, truisms, but if you think about it, a lot of people don't think about your brand. So they're just buying it once a year, but you have to get that once a year buyer. And so how are you going to go and get that once a year buyer? They're not... They're not necessarily the person that's attracted to your advertising or your new products. They just happen to be walking past a display and in a momentary thing decided to buy it. But you still have to think about those one percenters. So right. those maths, I think, are just as important as, and we'll probably get into it, but yeah. appreciation of a big creative idea, which which is another skill. But, right. uh, but I think marketing is a lot about maths, but it's thinking about that whole value chain of how do I, how do I go to market and, and therefore... Think about you know your price is your end your end point, and I think that's where you extract the value. Right. And uh, but you've got to do a lot of work up to that point to, uh, yeah. to get there. I suppose that's why I get to, I maybe that's why I get to the point where it, where it's ultimately it is about price because all the work you've done, yeah. it, it all comes to the point where yeah. the consumer says yes, I'll have that for forty eight dollars fifty or whatever it is. Absolutely, and right. you've got competitors there as well, right. so you've got to look at what's happening in that market space as well. So when we go, let's get right back to uh, the textbook. Yep. So. Um, my observation is that um, the word marketing actually just means advertising, when in fact you and I know that's not the case. No, it's a lot more to marketing than advertising. And, and even things like portfolio, looking at how many products can you actually hold before you start duplicating yourself, and, and then what's the efficiency of that, and then how does that roll up into a, into a P&L, right? Because, again, marketers have to show that they can own the P&L because... If you want to sit at a boardroom table one day and talk about value, then you have to show that you understand the drivers of value. And I think that's where a lot of marketers, you know, and there's a lot of good ones out there that are already doing that. Uh, but it is, you know, I think marketing has become confused with advertising and even more recently with 
execution and and digital campaigns and those types of things, which are, of course, important, but at the end of the day, yeah. they're part of a much bigger equation that's about driving value for your brand, value for your shareholders, and that's where, you know, I'd like to see credibility of marketing right up there to, right. to, to, to be in the boardroom and, and to talk about the numbers and what we're actually driving for in terms of value. So um, is it any more complex than just going back to the four Ps? <laughs> um, probably not, Russ. I think it's a good place to start because, yeah. again, it, it prompts you to think about something, you know. It prompts you to think about your distribution. There are different routes to market. You could be looking at the costs of your dis- distributor model. You might have to, to push that out to somebody else if that makes more sense. And you've also got to be thinking about your competition uh, and your channels. And, you know, a lot of people were probably caught by surprise when uh, you know e-commerce really started to take off, particularly through COVID, that they were in categories that people could readily buy through that platform and, and perhaps bypass you know some of the traditional channels, mm-hmm. and therefore, what's your offer there, and, and are you optimizing SEO, all those types of things? So, you know, the four P's is al- always a good place to start yeah. because it, it prompts you into that: Am I covering the things that I need to cover, and and, it, and what's my value chain? And that's why when we talk to price, uh, if people aren't thinking about price then they're, they're leaving value on the, on the table. And that's something that we definitely don't want to be doing as marketers. Right. Again, it undermines our credibility. So um, a great conversation I had with you not that long ago, maybe five years ago, um, you were talking to me about, you know, back to basics yeah. uh, and the importance of demography. Yeah. Right. So just yeah. give, us, give, us, give us the Mike <laughs> McGee version of what demography means to a marketer. Uh, I think it's really de-averaging your data and not doing, doing things that... Uh, you really need to get behind some of the data. And this is where, you know, it's funny, I wasn't going to say this now, but, uh, you know, when you asked me to come onto this uh, podcast, I, I thought, what am I, the hell am I going to say? And uh, I saw a quote, the first thing I saw, in a, I just opened a newspaper and I saw this yeah. quote and I thought, oh, this will sound smart, it's from Dante. Not that I yeah. read Dante, but... Yeah, the Dante's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Fre- Freddie gives Dante a go. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's all, I, I wouldn't not recommend it. But um, the quote was, I love to doubt and to know. Yeah. I think that really sums up sort of marketing doesn't it right today because you have to know and and intuition plays a big role but um doubting and asking sort of the right questions uh i think is really important as well and i think that's where um sorry what was the question demography demography yeah i got rolled up in that story but (laughs) um yeah so let's take an example like you know Probably in the US, because it's such a big market. Everyone yeah. thinks, oh, that's the US. Um, but when you sort of get, get underneath the US, it's, it's a funny market because uh, in the South, it's cr- the population growth there is, is enormous. It's, it's like 8 to 9% in some places. Wow. And that's driving discount retailing, right? And that's growing at 10 to 20%. And then, you know, what you have to do is say, have I got an offer in that marketplace? If, if I'm a global business, that is going to resonate. So do I have a price point that I can fix into that market yeah. so understanding that so if you just take the US and you don't then de-average your data you, right. you're not going to see that opportunity your right. competitors might have seen it yeah. and their growth rates are going to be far above yours because you haven't actually taken the trouble of understanding what that uh, demography is but what I'd also say is if you're going to be a number one big brand if you're going to be number one you have to win every age cohort for example you can't just say yeah. well you know um, we'll just win you know, what, what Gen Z or yeah. I heard Gen Alpha the other day. I thought, here comes another one. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so you have to win every cohort. This is more just in high transaction FMCG, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you can't just think with that view of, oh, if we really focus there, we're going to get scale. Um, 
it's not. I mean, when I started off my career, I think with Pepsi, um, you know, when I joined Schweppes, Pepsi had just left the, the business as, yeah. a, as a franchise and so lost a lot of volume. But one thing that, that I sort of observed about Pepsi was it never got above that age, you know, that sort of teen to yeah. 19 yeah. penetration. It was kind of stuck there because they went for that new generation positioning. Yeah. They were much bigger in a lot of other markets, in, and, and as we all know. But, you know, if you looked at someone like Coke back in those days, they were doing out on the patio and all that sort of stuff, which was really much... Aiming at grocery buyers, right? Just Ganga as much Jang. As, yeah, just as Ganga much as Jang. Jang. Yeah. <laughs> Out on the patio. There you go. There's our <laughs> age show there. But, uh, <laughs> but it was like, you know, you could see this multiple generation uh, positioning yeah, that they yeah. were trying to do, and that was to sell their, their larger packs in grocery. They were still doing a lot of the more, more universal advertising around youth and being on the beach and all that sort of stuff. But they understood that you had to carry your penetration across every yeah. cohort, and I think that's where... A lot of a lot of marketers probably right don't get that right because again it goes back to what I was saying before, which is there are a lot of people, and this is another truism: they don't think about your brand. <laughs> they they might buy it once a year. They they're not in love with it as much as you are. Yeah. Um, so therefore, if that's the case, um, how do you think? Of, like, if you don't think like that, if you think that they love your brand, you're going to do a lot a lot of different things, yep. but you're not going to think about catching that one person that buys it once a year. At that, at that one time. Yeah, and that's about researching your perfect store. It's about researching, okay, where do I really want my points of interruption in store so that if that person does go by, I know from fact they're actually going to – I'm more likely to pick it up there than okay. somewhere else. Yeah. And what I like then is that you use the word I know from – it's fact. Yeah, right. Fact. So one of the things that I also noticed about you is that you work hard to ensure that there is fact. Correct. Absolutely, Russ, and you'd know that. I think from our past, I think it's really important to use research, but not overuse it. And I think that's where the, the key is. So where do you find that beautiful sweet spot yep. between understanding something that's going to make a difference to building your brand, but also knowing that there are some things, some unknowns, but you know them internally because this is part of the, yeah. the knowing the intuition and, and and sort of really understanding that there are some big creative ideas out there that if you don't grab them, they're like great songs. You know, yeah. they come from the ether, and if you don't grab them, you're not going to you're not going to be able to. And that's where the value lies. You know, we talked about price. Sometimes if you build in the investment, what you get more for that investment on a big idea, that that sort of unintended fame is going to drive a yeah. lot of value back into that brand. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into ideas, given yeah. that you've led us there. <laughs> so okay, selling an idea internally. Yeah. Um, I, I – help help me. <laughs> well, this is a <laughs> – it's a funny one, Russ, because uh, it probably makes me think of something that, uh, that we did many, many years ago, and you would know about it. Um, but – Relaunching a brand like Sunkist, which uh, was – it's an international brand. It's a good soft drink brand. And uh, I had to sell to my managing director. We were going to relaunch this with uh, an orange donkey. <laughs> yes. And so how do you sort of <laughs> – how do you say that? But, yeah. uh, but look, I think um, – It worked, by the way. Yeah, it worked. It worked <laughs> really well. So, so selling an idea, I think it, it's, you've got to break it down in its, into its component parts. Right. And I think in that one – you know what? What I did say, and, and and with a lot of help from from our friends in the agency, was that you know, I, great ideas are about great stories as well. And in yeah. that case, you know, it's if you try something new, and we won't go into all the description of the ad, but yeah. it was all about 
a new flavour, a new taste. You yeah. try something new, there's a reward that sits right. behind that, right? Right. And, and you dress it up in a, in a funny little skit and, and it's, a nurse, it's, it's really borrowing from a nursery rhyme. Totally. And nursery rhymes are very powerful stories. They're almost like software you load up into somebody's head and that's yeah. right. Yep. Incredibly powerful way of linking your offer into that. So why wouldn't you try it, right? Well, this is one of the other things which, um, you know, a truism, Mike, um, that there are words in marketing that just work. So the notion of try something new, it might sound utterly banal, but the consumer likes to play along. Exactly. And you can say it very boringly, by the way, mm. but you can use an orange donkey in a bit of you know, yeah. storytelling that, yeah. that actually creates something magical. And yeah. that's what I sort of... There's a bit of a magic factor that you can... And, and, and you can get it wrong, of course, as well, but... When you get it right, it can have a multiplying effect. And as you said in that sun-kissed example, I think the sales went up by 25 30% in a, in, a, in a short period of time. Now, behind that, and we talked about this at the start, we really worked on the formulation, so the, yeah. you know, the product P. The P, yep. We had to get that right, and that, that was 18 months' work. Because yep. you don't just change a, a top brand's formula, because that can go the other way as well. Yeah. People go, hey, what have you done to my brand? You know, think classic Coke, right? Yeah. We didn't have classic Sunkist as a plan B, but, uh, you know, that that's, you know, that's, you've got to get those other elements right. We did a pack change as well yep. and, and really tried to enhance it. And, and I think that that idea was something on, a cherry on the top, but it was a great one. But again, selling those ideas to, to, to non-marketers can be challenging. Very. You know, you, you know what you want to do and how you're going to do it, but, that doesn't mean to say that you're going to bring people with different strengths and skills along, particularly if it's an accountant, it might be somebody who's, who's really steeped in facts and doesn't right. understand what, what storytelling is really going to achieve in the end. So that's, yeah. So I don't want you to give away too many secrets, <laughs> although a few would be good. Um, recently, you've worked with the Mars Corp and yep. you would go around the world into, into their big markets and look for growth. So give us a bit of a clue about some of the first things that you would do. You'd enter into market X and you'd say, okay, what? What 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 goes through your mind? Yeah, look, I don't think there's any secrets to this. Um, we, again, this was kind of like the last role I had at Mars. It was really just to help understand where the, the, the pockets for growth were. Um, and again, using data a lot to, to, to understand that. So again, what we talked about before, which is when you sort of de-average data, you can find a lot of things and... Um, you can sort of see what's really going on. And I think it's about bringing that to life because at the end of the day, it's also about growth governance because leadership teams have a lot on their agenda. They have a lot on their plate. They're not just looking at the growth. They're looking at all the different factors of the business, be it production, financials. It's a it's a VUCA kind of world out there. So to re refocus people just on the rules of growth. And, right. and, and obviously, you know, I worked with a great CMO, um, Bruce McColl, and... Uh, he started that, that, that sort of quest for a more predictable way to look at growth because, you know, it is difficult. Right. And um, so there's this marriage of using data and, and, but also that leadership teams still have to make judgments on their portfolio, their channels, their customers. So you still need to do that. Right. Uh, but you need to have some, some, some guardrails in place and have those conversations with the facts on the table. Uh, and sometimes they're quite brutal and... Uh, but, yeah, that's the way to do it, I think. Okay, so rules for growth. Um, I think knowing your growth model, I think that's the most, one of the most important things. So what's that mean? Well, what's happening in the marketplace? You know, how is growth derived? Is, uh, is it a mature market? And this is work that's, that's been around for a long time. It's no secret. 
Um, you know, we worked with Ehrenberg Bass a lot and a lot of other companies do and I think a lot of that work around, uh, you know, the, the factors that drive growth, be it penetration, frequency, right. value, you have to understand that because it's different for different markets. It's different um, depending on your position in the market and what you're trying to do. But I think just having a growth health check, you know, if your market is is if you're in a market that's that's you know seeing declines in penetration, but it's it's not ver- a very mature market, then perhaps you're selling bigger packs into the grocery store without considering what else you should be doing. Well, that must you know be, that I mean? and I imagine that that would happen a lot. Yeah, and it does <laughs> a lot across all across a lot of players yeah. are doing that, and so it's really looking at all your channels and and seeing where's where's the healthy growth, the not so healthy growth. Where do you want to grow? I think that's yeah. really what it's what it's all about. So, so healthy growth, I presume, is profitable growth. Correct. Yeah, and and you know you've got to look at the future as well, and you know you don't make profit all the time because you're hoping to invest into into the future. So, um, you might have a, a business that you want to nurture for the longer term, and so you're willing to sort of take a yeah a, a bit of a pain in the short term to do that, but you do have a long term view that it is going to grow. So when you, when you do your drivers for growth. Um, Distribution must play a massive role. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, I think for everybody looking at what they're, where they're located, and, and again looking at the averaging the data, where are you missing? You know, where are you under average? And this one percenters that I talked about before, which is, you know, knowing what your best points of interruption are, and and are you actually doing those out in the marketplace? Do you have a range that's too duplicative? Mm-hmm. Those types of questions, you need to ask because. Um, and you can put your resources against things that are not necessarily going to drive you the best the best outcome. How do you, how do you um, determine what's a let's call it a marketing fad? How do you determine fad versus what you know to be true? Yeah, I mean that's a really good question, and that's probably one of the hardest questions. And I think what you've got to do is really think about what I think with brands, and, and this is another truism. You've got to stand for something, right? Yeah. Or, or you're going to fall for anything, and 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 therefore, do your do your tactics marry back to a central idea about about what the brand is really all about? Right. Know? Even if you go back you know, years when I was working in soft drinks, a brand like Solos, like that's still relevant today. Light on the fizz, so you can slam it down fast. So, mm-hmm. what what are you doing that really? If you were doing that today, how would that look in a in a brand positioning? And then, how does it marry to all the different ideas that you're doing so one filter would be is it really building to conversion are you selling something by doing something because a lot of people are obsessed with getting followers on social media of course that's nice to have but you know a million followers in the u.s for example when it's a 330 million (laughs) 300 sorry 330 million people yeah that's kind of small potatoes isn't it at the end of the day so what what is it that that is helping you convert to sales because look that's not to say you don't do certain little things that are one-offs or, or, or whatever, but I think that can become an obsession where you're starting to invest a lot of money into those things and that's not necessarily going to get you conversion to your brand, which which then is sales at the end of the day. Um, the just noticeable difference. Yep. <laughs> uh, is this, is this um, an active uh, tool in the McGee kit bag? I think it is. And I, I, I mentioned before, you know, one of the things that's a, that's a threat with, with products is you know you could change something and it could could backfire on you i think there was a there was a big um, classic case years ago in the u.s when tropicana changed it's not by a lot but yeah. by enough to sort of mm. decimate the sales by 12 i'm sure a few people lost their jobs over that one but right. uh yeah so that, there's definitely i mean one of the key things about 
what we talked about before around facts is, you know, you want someone to spend a certain amount of time in front of the shelf before they find you, and that's the smallest amount of time possible. So, you know, again, you, you want to be hooking into what we would, you know, you'd call what certainly what Aaron ba- Ehrenberg Bass calls distinctive memory structures because those things do make a difference. Right. And if you're not, if, if, if you make it hard for people to find you, it'll be hard and, right. and you will lose sales. So I think an obsession with packaging, it, it can be really damaging. And I think the other flip side of that is um, where people are trying to take cost out of product. I think that can be a real danger because if you do go over that just noticeable difference, you, know, you can see big fallaways in, in yeah. sales and yeah. that's really what, what you don't want. And I, I assume the core driver behind Weber's law or just noticeable difference, yeah. the, the, the core driver is getting cost out. Um, yeah, it could be improvement. So we mentioned that, that, that example before when you're trying to in, improve a formulation because people will, again, if you're not the market leader, you're more of a market challenger, improvement can be a genuine way of yeah. creating new sales. Right. I think if you've got a really big brand uh, uh, and you're market leader, you've got to be very careful about that. So, for example, you know, if you're changing the, the taste of Cadbury dairy milk, you'd want to be... Bloody sure that's going to work. Right. I, I did pitch many years ago. Um, it should be a glass and a half of A2 milk. <laughs> yeah, I did. Probably a good idea. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Michael. It wasn't considered a good idea at the time, but I think it probably was quite a good idea. Yeah, not a bad Well, certainly a different differentiation. Uh, you can always go back to normal milk again if, if it doesn't work. But. Exactly. So tell me, uh, look, stuff that hasn't gone according to plan. I mean, obviously yeah. we can learn some things. So have, yeah. you got any, have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I think this is a really important one because, again, playing by the rules of the game, I think, is another truism. Yeah. Um, the first thing I was asked to launch in my career was uh, a clear cola yes. without caffeine. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's like launching um, – I'd say that's like launching a clear whiskey yeah. without alcohol. So <laughs> what have you got at the end of the day but paint stripper? But uh, <laughs> So it's also knowing that that's really not something that you want to be doing uh, and uh, – and, and th- I think that's as much as your truism. And I'll give you an, a flip side example of that. So, you know, that was obviously not successful because soft drinks with colour and flavour make a big difference and people want caffeine. I mean, that's why it's in there at the end right. of the day because it gives you a, a bit of a buzz. But um, at the same time, we were sort of scratching around because I said at the start, we lost the Pepsi franchises. So we had big gaps in the volume for the factory and, and, and therefore how to drive revenue. And we were looking around at, you know, what could we launch? And you sort of look at traditional old-style lemonades with real lemons. In fact, some kids tried to sell us that yesterday <laughs> as we were yeah. walking around the street, walking the dogs. And, and everyone loves that, right? right? So And creamy soda, you know, when you're growing up and you have these beautiful yeah. traditional soft drinks. So yeah. we sort of looked at a few of those and, and put those out there in the market at a premium price. So that was something that, that really worked. And... Uh, <laughs> It's actually still out there today. I saw yeah. it in the fridge the other day. So, you know, that was one that um, that did sort of follow a lot more on the rules of the game. So the learning was, you know, don't just follow the rules of the game and it's a much easier win, yeah. right? Yeah. But you still need to try things along the way. You should never you should never penalise someone for trying something no, as long as it doesn't bring the, bring the place down. <laughs> but there are certain rules. I, I remember, I remember um, discovering a rule um, yeah. with you on Cotty's. And we had what we thought was, I mean, I certainly thought it was a terrific idea. And I think you did. Um, and it was, a, it was a fellow who was in a Cotty's um, branded aeroplane, bi- biplane. It was during a drought. Um, so you had uh, the drought-stricken red dirt of Australia and people, you know, wandering around saying, where's my next drink coming yeah. from? And an aeroplane 
flew over and seeded the clouds yep. with coddies. Yep. And then it rained. <laughs> the research said, uh, uh, no, 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 no. Imagine how sticky that would be. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, from that point on, I've always thought, no, that's actually fair enough from the consumer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, it's, it, there are ideas that they'll buy and then there, are, then there are ideas that they just think, no, that's actually stupid. Absolutely. There are plenty of those and I've probably done a few, as I said, with, uh, with my clear cola. But, but also sometimes the courage to ignore some research I think can be an yeah. interesting angle as well. And, you know, who could forget, you know, with um, Apple, Steve Jobs, I think, ignored yeah. the idea that, that a white yeah. computer could... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and luckily, luckily he did because I think it sort of created that look for them. And uh, and and again, so there are ones that are that are compelling, and then there are ones that are not so compelling. Right. I think how do you ch- how do you pick the difference out of that? Yeah. I think that's the there's a bit of skill in being able to do that. So you're a very you're obviously a very strong technical marketer in that you understand you know the levers yeah. the levers that are available to the market. But I but I also think you're a terrific brand person. Um, so tell us. Tell us about building brand in the year 2023 because it is a little different yeah. to um, when we first worked together. Yeah. Well, look, maybe I, maybe it is and it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing remains the same, which is what we said before, which I think is you have to stand for something. So you've got to be clear about what your motivating proposition is. Uh, and I think, you know, certainly I think Mars is very good at that in, in, in my time. Um, that's one area that... that uh, they really do a great job on. And I think Mars, even in more recent times, has been named Advertiser of the Year at Cannes. Yep. And that's that discipline around storytelling, which I think Bruce sort of bought into the business and I think he was a fantastic CMO at, at doing that. So having that, you know, if you look at some of the brands that, that Mars runs, you've got Snickers, you know, which was that you're not you when you're hungry. And yep. I think that was a brilliant sort of campaign, which yep. really put that... that uh, Focus on the insight, which is you let you let the pack down if you're not on your game, and this yeah. is something that helps you get back there, and it delivers because it's it's got peanuts and all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's a meal. So it's a meal. Yeah. So yeah. you know it it kind of delivers on those those things, right? So that's very motivating. So it's still a it still stands for something, but then you're giving a lot of freedom to markets and, and to marketers to come up with ways in which to, to, to acquire audiences and to, to get out there and to, to talk to people. Because the, the biggest challenge and the biggest difference to when we started off is acquiring that audience is really right. tough. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, aside from the Matildas the, the other day, which they got 11 million people <laughs> watching, it would have been great to have an ad in that spot. But, yeah. um, you know, audience sizes are declining for all those reasons we know, which is everyone's looking on different devices and everything. So you have to really think about how you're going to express that and reach people through those different channels and, and what's the right way to do it. Right. But whilst holding true to a, yeah. a proposition, because that you so still have to have that, because otherwise what do, you, yeah. what do people think of when they think of your brand? So, so tell me, what's your sense on what good, a good media mix looks like now? Well, that's a hard one because it could also depend on the market that you're in. Because yeah. you know, again, you can't forget TV because TV still can buy mass audiences at scale. So you can't completely forget that. Um, but then you've got to look at what your objectives are. What are you trying to achieve with particular audiences? And then that I think should drive a lot of your your your, your channel selection, but also looking at your content as well and what content mm-hmm. are you developing. But also partner well with agencies on this because there are a lot of people out there, and I think this would be one of, one of the other truisms. It's who you who you actually partner with over time, who you network with, who you bring your problems to that are going to yeah. help solve them. Because if you think you've got all the answers, you, you, you're wrong. And I think you know certainly when we work together, 
we brought a lot of different people yep. uh, into the mix and somehow you get this thing <laughs> at the end, which is great. So, so I, what I would say is really think about what, what your channel strategies are because at the end of the day, content, the effectiveness of that content is 70% of, of success. The actual... The media placement is very important as well, but you've got to get the content right. You've right. got to get those messages right. You've got to get the storytelling right. Then you've got to adapt that with the rules of the game to the particular the particular channel that you're right. on. Right? Okay. So if you're in social video, that you've got to follow those rules of the game. You can't sort of just chop and change a 30-second commercial to suit that aim because that's most likely not going to work. And how are you going to leverage you know, user-generated content as well? So right. that's, that's another thing that, that's probably... One of the things which I've always found, you know, interesting, you know, oh, my marketing budget's X. So let's just call it, you know, 10, 10 bucks. Yeah. My marketing, I've got a $10 marketing budget. But then when you really look into it, let's call it working media. Yes. Uh, you know, money that's pointed at the consumer <laughs> will be like two bucks. Yeah. Oh, you're dead right there, Russ. And there's a lot of costs out there that probably aren't as visible as they used to be. You, you, know, you used to pay... TV stations through your media agency and, and the, the, the sort of the costs were quite visible. There's a lot of things out there that are perhaps not as visible. Yep. Um, so, look, I think you want to be getting at least 80% of your budget on working and yeah. That, yeah. That, that's why, you know, you've got to produce content and a lot of there's a lot of in-house options these days, but you've got to produce content efficiently. Mm-hmm. You know, like the days of, <laughs> you know, multi-million dollar production budgets. Yeah. I mean, they still exist for the big players, of course, but... Uh, but for, for smaller businesses, mm. they've got to get those partnerships right because if you, if again, if you if you don't know if you're a content effect, if you don't know how effective it is, you're going to be wasting a lot of money right. and, and hitting a, a lot of the wrong audiences as well. So that's that's where that skill comes in. But I, but I like just as a, as a let's call it benchmark that you know eighty percent of your money you need to make sure it's on working media. Yeah, that's a good working yeah. working objective. In right. My uh, yeah, and I, I I utterly buy that. Um, and you're making me think of Ehrenberg Bass when they say um. So what's the um, how much money should I spend as much as possible? When should I spend it? Divided by twelve and spend that much every month. I buy that. Do you are you into that? Uh, look, I certainly think there's the, the the continuity is key because again, people forget you quickly, and mm. I think if you're all what we call always on, yeah. if you can afford to do that, you should do that. Yeah. Um, there's always a way of looking at a model and 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 what's the right amount of weeks and all of those types of things, but. It's the mindset that, particularly big brands, as I said, if you're trying to win every cohort, mm. you, you're going to be in multiple channels anyway. But what you want to be doing is really thinking about your presence, and um, and you can't you can't replace that. So I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, um, we're in we were in a discussion the other day, and I don't know. I reminded myself of an old truism: if you can own a medium, yes. Does that happen much anymore? Oh, I think it does. Yeah. I think it does, particularly uh, in radio. I yeah. mean, you're a radio man. You yeah. know that for yourself. But whenever I'm, I'm listening, and I, 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 I make no comment on the creative, mm. but uh, whenever I'm listening, I don't listen to a lot of radio, but I listen to Saturday Food, mm. right? A lot yeah. of people do. And this food works. It's like everywhere, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I can't get it out of my head, that, yeah. that whistly song, right? Now, how effective is that? I don't know. But that there's clearly attempting to spend most of their money against that channel, which could really be effective. Yes. There's been a lot of examples of that. I think um, radio is probably an underestimated medium because you do have ways in which you can influence memory structure yeah. through songs, tunes, all that sort of stuff. Anything that surprised you recently? Um, I think, well, certainly in 
you know, obviously working uh, in FMCG, it's not a surprise. It's probably predictable. But I think businesses like Aldi and how quickly they've come on and really made a name for themselves in retailing because it's yeah. a hard market to break into. Obviously, Australia, you've got Coles and Woolies. They're big, big retailers. And, and Aldi is in, is in there. Right? Yes. So they've carved out. Yeah, they've done really well and they're, 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 they're cutting edge. You know, mm. I think some of their marketing is really good. Yeah. Um, their current advertising, good, very, different. You know. Very good. And, and it acknowledges a real insight, which yeah. is not, yeah, just come to us first. Yeah. Because you know, that's where you'll get your, your bargain and then go, if you've got something special that we don't carry, go somewhere else. Yeah. I and mean, it just acknowledges a truth, which I think is quite powerful. Don't you love the just the simplicity of it? The, yeah. the, I, you know, you would probably write a book and call it powerful simplicity. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> that's sort of what they've done, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I think it's a great case study, Mike, that yeah, one. it yeah. is. I think in the, as the years go on, and look, the Coles and Woolies of the world will fight back for sure. There's no question about that. But it, it's an interesting, you know, way that, that you really have to understand your audience. Yeah. And I think this is one of the other truisms that we haven't touched on yet. But... We're not our audience. Um, that's that's a that's a reality. You really got to think that you're not necessarily the people who buy your product, and, and and that was sort of driven home to me working on Cadbury, and and one day I think you know an example of that we took took the creative team out to Chadston Shopping Centre to yeah. to brief them for yeah. this campaign, which ended up being wouldn't it be nice? And um, and it was just to say, look, we took them to watch Shrek and say that's what you want people to feel like after they see your advertising yep. and your campaigns yep. because. That's what endears people to the way you tell stories, and um, and then in in the end we got that because we got a, an ad that used animation, which was your risk because Cadbury Dairy Milk had never done that. Yep. But at the same time, this beautiful storytelling. I mean, who wouldn't react to? So why would they stop doing that campaign? Uh, well, that's a long time, <laughs> time ago. But I'm, I'm I'm actually serious <laughs> in that for me. So many marketers move on. Yeah, when well, that's my when, other truism. Yeah, when they shouldn't move on. Exactly. We right. move on a lot um, quicker than consumers do, right? Right. And, and, you know, there are cases where ads could easily go through 20,000 tarps and not even wear out. I right. Mean, that, that's a fact. That's yeah. a reality. Um, so marketers obviously want to make a name for themselves, and, and that's fine. But at the end of the day... Not really. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not really fine. No, it's not. But but uh, but one, one thing I would say is that that campaign... Um, you know, again, you go to that knowing what's a big idea. Mm. Someone comes into into your office, and the first thing they say is, "Wouldn't it be nice if the world was Cadbury? You can surf inside a chocolate tube." And you go, "Yeah, my God, yeah, yeah." <laughs> You've nailed that to the Beach Boys, right? Yeah, and you go, "That is amazing." Yes, um, and that's where that sort of knowledge of how do you turn that into into something that's yeah. an eight to ten year. It's a again, tragedy, isn't it? It's tragic how. Um, uh, you're making me think of Cadbury favourites. The thing to bring when you're asked not to bring a thing. That's right. Why would you not be running that now? Well, you probably could, and that's the thing. I certainly <laughs> don't speak for, for who's working at Cadbury now, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, there are definitely enduring ideas which which are, which which last the test of time. And certainly, Absolutely. look in those days, um, claymation was not the art that it probably is today. And and sometimes the chocolate looked a bit like paint. So you've got yeah. got your heart in your mouth about whether that's going to work. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what sits behind it. Yeah. I mean, just a little detail, like a postman delivering your chocolate because yeah. posties are, you know, believe it or not, they're one of the most trusted people out there. Yeah, uh, so it was cute. It was cute and, and endearing and part of the vernacular. Well, so. We'd have to put that in your top three. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And globally, you've worked on a lot of stuff around the yeah. world. So give us give us your top three. So we, we, we're going to say that's in your top three, yep. in, in no order. Uh, well, I would say, um, look, I, I certainly um, worked on 
the uh, the Snickers campaign, but I didn't obviously wasn't at the start there. But we did an ad with Mister Bean, which I thought yes. was uh, which was awesome. Very um, good. It was it was a good one. It, it was uh, one that sort of did the campaign well across Europe, which yeah. was did, we were struggling to get a big spot that we could go over many many markets. And that one went across a lot of markets. Right. Again, uh, tip my hat to Bruce McCall who supported yeah. that one. Yep. Um, other top three, well, it'd be between even some of the work we did uh, on Coddy's to sort yeah. of certainly when that was at, at its lower ebb and, and re- relaunching that. We rebuilt that thing, didn't we? Yeah, but I did um, did, did do a great spot in the UK again with, with this chocolate over there called Galaxy. Yes, uh, I know Galaxy. Big second in the market. Yeah. And we did a spot with a guy by the name of um, Daniel Kleinman, who actually does all the James Bond, believe it or not, <laughs> titles. Yeah, at the brilliant. Start. He's well, an unbelievable. Bloke. That's what happens in the UK, Mike. As you yeah. know, <laughs> when they when they when they use craft, they use craft, yeah. as in the craft the craft skill of yeah. an animator, yeah. of a someone who knows how to do whatever stop yeah. motion. And, and that look, we were looking to sort of put that that brand back into it. It's, it. It was a really great uh, chocolate brand. So we were looking to bring some more fame to that. We uh, we actually recreated Audrey Hepburn in that spot, which was quite risky. Um, but it was, in the end, it worked really well. We obviously had to get the permission from the family to yeah. do that. But yeah. uh, there was a funny story in that too. Uh, uh, again, this is truisms and, and it was like, uh, we were doing a casting for that. And, uh, you know, it, Daniel Kleinman's a pretty big, big yeah. director over there. And, and and we ended up not wanting to go with his lead cast oh. recommendation. Uh, was that your – did you have to have that conversation? Yes, uh, but it was in front of a lot of people in, <laughs> in the room. And uh, I think I said he was like a poor man's De Niro. And the <laughs> room just went completely <laughs> I could he- I could hear you saying that. <laughs> so anyway, we did do that and that was a really good spot. And so that was definitely in my, my top three. Fantastic. Hey, Mike, we're going to have to wind this one up. But I'm hoping that we can do this again. No, it would be great to do it, Russ. Really enjoyed Because uh, I know you've got – have you got a long list there of all the things? There were quite a few other truisms um, that were in there, but I think we covered a lot of them, uh, to be fair. Uh, we did definitely cover a lot. Have a quick scan, see if you've missed something. The, the only thing I'd say is what we said before, which which goes – I think part of the truism is, is knowing who to work with. And, and yeah. over the years, I think whether you're hiring people or working with agencies – Treating them as partners to me is probably one of the biggest learnings. Is in that collaboration, masterminding is really what you need to do as a marketer because if you think you've got all the answers, um, you know, I always try to hire someone who's going to be the smartest per- person in the room. That's not – I don't want it to be me. I want it to be somebody else who's going well, to be taking that mantle. So. That, I have to say, is a big hurdle to jump. Good on you, Mike. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Russ. Thanks for your time. No worries.